We will now have our first message, the split sermon, by Mark McGarvey. I don't have a title, so he will... Behind me. There it is. <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. Good to see everyone here today on this glorious hot summer day in, o in Oklahoma. And to be honest with you, it's a bit too warm for my liking for this Irishman. But, you know, we'll make it through. So I wanted to talk today... Um, talk to you today about uh, two of the biggest miracles in the Bible, um, both performed by Jesus. Can you hear me okay in the back? Okay. Um, both performed by, um, by Jesus and recorded in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, we can debate which of um, Jesus' miracles were the greatest, because there were so many. Um, but, and, and remember, let's, let's actually real quick turn to this one scripture. Um, remember what John concluded his gospel with? Let's quickly go to John chapter 21 and verse 25, because this is a very important scripture that gets overlooked sometimes. John 21 and verse 25. And there are also many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. You see? There were so many things that Jesus did, not only in the three and a half years that we know of his ministry, but the previous 30 years. What else happened in his life? So many things. And, you know, Matthew and John wrote down things, I guess, as, as things happened. But they didn't catch every single you know, conversation he had with anybody. Not every single miracle he did. You know, there were so many things that went unrecorded. And as John wrote, if it was all recorded, there would be volumes and volumes and books and books. So a very important scripture that sometimes gets overlooked. So going by what we do have, um, these two miracles in my books rank as probably number one to um, purely because of what happened during them and... and what they show. So the two miracles I'm going to talk about are the healing of the paralytic man who was let down through the roof and, uh, and raising Lazarus back to life after he'd been dead for four days. These two world-changing events give us an insight into Jesus' divinity, his power, and they can solidify our faith. Because although these miracles happened 2,000 years ago, they are very much alive in our Christian belief today. But also, these stories show us how Christ and God the Father can heal us, physically and spiritually. Our prayers are answered, and healing is happening every day for us now. So, let's look at our first scripture. Let's get the ball rolling with these two amazing events, and go to... Uh, I think out of the, the four Gospels that are recorded, and I like the one recorded in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Um, I think I prefer the way it's written. 
and some of the details are different and the way it finishes. So Mark chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 1 through 12, and this is referring to the, uh, the healing of the paralytic man. So Mark chapter 2, are we there yet? There you go. Verses 1 through 12. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. And most theologians believe this was Peter's house. Immediately many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic man who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. <clears throat> so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now let's pause for a second here because I want to see the, the whole roof thing is an important thing. And I, I discovered a uh, little piece of information here which um, I think ties into the whole lowering down through the roof because some, you know, you may have seen illustrations of, of a, like a reed type roof. You know, some say tile. So let me read this thing here. This is an interesting thing which I looked up on the hist historical uh, knowledge of Mideastern homes at that time. Uh, critics use this miracle to show conflicts in the Bible. I'm reading from this, uh, this website I did some uh, research on. Mark says, digging through. Luke says, they removed tiles. Matthew doesn't say, is there a conflict? Some say the reason for the difference is that Luke could have used a Gentile word to describe the scene to a Gentile audience. It's like if I said they pulled the shingles off. This is possible, but not necessary. The way homes were built was with wood for truss support, then a layer of reeds on top of the trusses, and clay on top of the reeds. That was the standard home in that region at the time. The wood trusses, then the reeds, a, a, a bunch of reeds, I, I guess, got to have insulation and, and keep the heat in uh, in the winter, and then clay on top of that. Um, let's see, and clay on top of the reeds. And the word, the word keravim, translated tiles in Luke, also means clay, and Luke is probably just using a word that describes the material and its function at the same time. So that's, that was the average house at that time. So that's probably the kind of roof that these guys were dealing with, removing, removing the clay, removing the reeds, and then lowering them down, I guess, by ropes through the, in between the wood trusses. And being a carpenter for 11 years, I worked on a lot of roofs. I know all about trusses, because I fell down through a couple. <laughs> Not a pleasant experience, believe me, but landed on my feet both times. I think it happened twice. And I was very lucky because those things are dangerous. And back in the, the 90s when I was doing it, there was, no, there was no strapping on to some kind of rope or anything. You just, you balanced in between the trusses and you did this and that and did what you had to do. Very dangerous, but I was young and I was stupid, <laughs> I guess. Um, so that was the situation with the roof that they lowered the paralytic man on some kind of bed down to Jesus. They couldn't get in the house. It was that crowded. There was that many people. It must have been some scene. And maybe there, were, maybe there were hundreds of people just milling around the house outside too, as well as the house itself being packed. And maybe there was, yeah, it, it, it must have been really, really busy for them to have to go to those, uh, <clears throat> those lengths. 
So let's go back here to uh, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The usual retort. But immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And in verse 12, immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So this was an incredible miracle. This man, who had been paralyzed most of his life, it seems, is completely healed. And this is no small thing either, when someone like this is healed by Jesus. Like all these, these instances that we you kind of gloss over what actually happens when one of these miraculous, miraculous healings happens. This guy has been paralyzed for who knows, maybe he was 20 years old, maybe he was 45, we don't know. He doesn't say, and it's not really that important. The guy was paralyzed, paralytic man. He was paralyzed, couldn't move, okay? Well, he could move, but not much. Certainly couldn't walk. But for this, this miracle to happen, so what happens when, when Jesus told him that? So that Jesus, it, it doesn't appear that he actually touches the man. He just says it because he had that power. He had that authority to do it, right? But what happens to this guy? Okay, so this guy is lying in the bed, right? <clears throat> Bones and muscles, ligaments and tendons being regenerated, right? Brought to life, as it were. So it makes, you, it makes you wonder, it's interesting to think about, if this man, after this miraculous event, and for the years after that, did the guy ever have any aches and pains? Did he ever have arthritis? Because when you think about it, this guy has never had proper bones for his frame of his body before. Jesus has now healed him and created these new bones, as it were, these new muscles and tendons and new ligaments. So maybe he now has the body of like a 10-year-old, 15-year-old, 18-year-old man. It's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Because his, for the frame of his body, Jesus had to heal those bones for this man to stand up. Maybe they were deformed in some way, who knows? But for him to stand up and walk, and walk out of there, there was some, there was some healing going on in that body. Uh, excuse me, in that body. And uh, it must have been amazing to see. And, and it, there's a, I'm a like, like Matt Steele, I'm a big fan of the Chosen series. And this is no spoiler. There's, there's a scene there where Jesus heals this, uh, this one man's arm. And this is why it's always interesting to watch these, these uh, religious movies, especially about the life of Jesus. Because when you see something on screen and see what it could have happened, uh, this guy's arm is healed. And it was withered and all crooked before. And obviously using the computer graphics, they show as Jesus touches it and the arm starts to straighten out and heal up. And the bones and the muscles come back and the guy's hand is, is like new. So, and we don't know if this happened in five seconds or if it took a minute for the guy just to stand up. 
So it, it's very interesting when you look at the whole, you know, the whole structure of a miraculous healing like this, what, what actually went on. So, because, you know, God doesn't do things in half measures. He goes all the way and does the supreme job for this guy to get healed like this. For example, the time at the, the wedding in, in Cana when Jesus turned the water into wine. And everyone thought it was the best wine. You know, he didn't just do eh, decent wine, you know, eh, it'll be good enough. No, he made really good wine that they really enjoyed and loved. So, doesn't do half measures. He goes beyond. So, and we can compare this situation, what happened here, to us. You know, little niggly things that add up one after the other, you know. Look to Christ, okay? Look to Christ when these things happen. Pray to Jesus personally, one-on-one. -on -one. Get down on your knees in a private, private place if you have to. He can re regenerate us now. He can give us strength now. These two miracles we're looking at today, 2,000 years ago. But, you know, he hears us now. He strengthens us now, and he will answer our prayers now. And as a lot of people say, and as you've heard before, it may not be in your time frame, but God will take care of it. Like, for example, back in 1998, and I've told this story before, when I, I cut my leg down to the bone uh, with a circular saw, um, I was working on a roof down in, uh, off Kensington High Street in London, not far from where Diana used to live. This was like a year after she died, but um, September the 1st, I think it was, 1998. As a little side note, by the way, a week, within a week, Dada got run over by a car over here in Tahlequah. And <laughs> so I definitely brought us together that way too, right? Um, but no, I cut my leg down to the bone and uh, just above the kneecap, I missed my kneecap by, you know, eighth of an inch. I missed a big important artery by an eighth or a sixteenth of an inch too. Um, so I would have, I could have bled to death up on that roof. <laughs> Here's the roof again, the trusses. Working, I was on the scaffolding, my dad was in the roof. We were making a nice big cut roof for this mansion. And I was out on the scaffolding cutting the two by fours and handing them to him. And it was our own fault, the circular saw we used and the guard was jamming. So maybe we shouldn't have been using it, but it was the only circular saw on site. What are you going to do? Um, and this one time, I bent down to cut the two by four, and the guard didn't come up, and I wasn't thinking for a second, and it caught my baggy jeans and <laughs> went into the leg, and it happened just like that. And I remember looking down, big hole in the jeans, and thinking, oh, no, oh, no, here we go. I had to look. And I remember looking down, big gaping hole, and I could see my leg bone. Savage. It just tore that muscle and flesh up. It was bad. But, you know, within three weeks, I was working again. You know, I prayed to God. And uh, first of all, I had to get down from that, that 30 foot roof. I had to hobble down a 20 foot ladder. <laughs> Went into the, the job supervisor's office and he, he bandaged me up. My dad drove me to the, the hospital. And I guess one of my older sisters had been born in the hospital back in 1966 or whatever. And he says, Oh, I know what that hospital is. Well, he didn't. It'd been 25 years. He forgot how to get there. So the journey, which should have been 10 minutes, ended up being half an hour. But anyway, got there, got to the emergency room, and they, they stitched me up. Um, 
But, you know, pray, prayers about it, and three weeks later, I was back working again with a big old scar on my leg, but, you know, God answered those prayers, and I was back to working and earning money again. So, but this passage also gives us an insight into Jesus' messiahship. Let's go back and briefly look at verses 6 through 10 here, because you'll see what I mean here. Verses 6 through 10. And some of the scribes, verse 6, and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easy to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He could read their hearts, you see. He knew what they were thinking. Not guessing what they were thinking. No, he knew exactly what they were thinking. And, you know, they ignore the wonderful healing that just had happened. And they go and concentrate on, oh, you can't say that. No, never mind, that, that man who's been paralyzed all his life has been healed. What you said, I don't like. Get out of here. No, 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 no. Never mind that. And that's the way they always were. Let's focus on the blasphemous words, they said. You know? He had the authority to forgive people's sins. And that both scared them and angered them. No one can forgive sin but God, they would always say. Well... He was God in the flesh. He could do it. He, being the Messiah, was able to forgive sins. Miraculously heal people, but he could also read people's hearts and minds. So, let's move on and look at the second miracle. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. Let's go to the book of John, chapter 11. John chapter 11, and let's begin in verse 1 here. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and his sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, sent to Jesus, sent a message to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Okay, let us go to Judea again. But the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? The previous chapter, they tried to stone him. There's a situation there. Um, the believers beyond the Jordan, and the shepherd knows his sheep. There was a situation there where Jesus was speaking, and they tried to stone him. Just the chapter before, chapter 10, and he escaped. One of the many times he escaped from them. So... And they're saying, the disciples are saying, Jesus, you want to go back there to Judea? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? 
If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go, that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And then Thomas, listen to this, then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. I mean, <laughs> what are you talking about? Let's die with him. Uh, okay, so verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Jesus, uh, Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him just outside the town of Bethany. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard that, she rose quickly and came to, came to him, came to Jesus. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit. And this means he was troubled, he was deeply moved. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And in the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning himself, again moved beyond belief at what was going on here, came to Lazarus' tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, 
Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, said a brief little prayer to the Father. Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with gray clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, Loose him and let him go. So I rate this as the greatest miracle that Jesus did. You, you know, yes, he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, um, and he also resurrected the widow's son and performed many incredible miracles and healings, but this one is just mind-blowing. Um, Lazarus had been dead four days. There were many, many people watching in this situation. You know, it says that the Jews were gathered around, came, many came to see. Um, and as others have pointed out about Lazarus and his tomb, it was a tomb. They rolled away the stone, the big heavy stone that sealed the tomb, and then you can picture those people stepping away from the opening, thinking, what's going on here? Maybe there was a smell that came out of there, and they stepped away from the opening. It's my guess what happened, what's, what's going to happen here, kind of thing. Um, but to prove, and, and maybe, you know, this is a theory that people have, maybe to prove there's no trickery involved here, Jesus went to all these lengths. People stand back. The tomb is now open. They've moved away the stone, which has been there for four days, okay? This is really going to happen. And then Lazarus walks out, still wrapped in the shroud and the burial clothes. <laughs> I bet many were standing there just awestruck, jaws dropped, trying to fathom what they had just seen. Yeah, he walks out, still wearing the things, and his face is covered. I mean, unbelievable. But going back a little ways here, were Mary and Martha upset that Jesus hadn't come earlier? because they knew all about his healing abilities. The fact that Jesus wept also says a lot here in this situation. He loved this family. Maybe he had played his little boy with Lazarus, we don't know. Maybe they grew up together. And I'm sure it was an emotional scene when Jesus got there. Their brother had died. Jesus knew him well, Lazarus. Jesus could comfort them and give them words of encouragement, yes. But this is where I love these stories, because Jesus is not only one step ahead of everyone around him, his disciples and people watching. He's five, ten steps ahead. He planned this for a couple of days. He knew Lazarus was going to die, but he planned this. There was going to be a reason why he let Lazarus die to perform his greatest miracle. You know, he had arrived here now at this time um, not to be a comforter um, in his friend's grief, he was here to perform one of the greatest miracles in the Bible. He was here to show the power of God the Father working through him. And he would show them, demonstrate to them, that they needed to have faith in him because he is the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. Like, it, like he said there, um, 
and he spoke that to Martha. Now, um, and regarding this, there was a little thing I, I um, discovered when I was also researching this. This little quote from um, from uh, one uh, Jun Amparo, is the guy's name, from the Richly Blessed Today website. Just an interesting little quote here from the whole scripture here about Lazarus. Um, quote, when Jesus visited Lazarus, the sisters thought he was very late, but he's not. He's always on perfect time. However, human emotions can sometimes easily obscure God's purpose from our minds. The strong emotions of sorrow for their brother Lazarus is being diluted with blame and accusation. How many times do we often blame God for our own good motives that failed? How many times do we blame him because we thought we just wanted to help people? It's not a sound or logical argument that matters, but his ultimate plans in the middle of difficult situations. God's timing is never early, and it's never been too late. Patience and trust are the two important key elements to understand how God works. End quote. To exercise patience and faith. So, when it comes to healing in our lives, now patience and time play a big part, a big, big part. We have to have patience in God's plan for us. Um, his time plan, and I know that's hard when you're in pain. It is. I've been there before, too. When you're sick, when you're ill with the flu or whatever, or like my wife and her predicament right now, her conundrum, she's been in that, that thing for almost four weeks now after her major surgery, and it, it caused a lot of pain, and, and believe me, if, if, if I could, I would heal it, you know, immediately. But the, the, we live in, a, in our human bodies, this is what we deal with, but God will answer our prayers, and, and it's not necessarily in the time frame that we want, but he will answer those prayers. You know, I prayed for my sister who had breast cancer for eight years. She fought that for eight years until she lost the fight. But I know every time that we sent prayers from here that it worked. You know, what would happen is she would get better for a few months and then she'd relapse and whatever. But I know that God gave her strength and our prayers were answered and she, she, she kept going. And, and we can take tremendous hope and faith in Christ as our Savior, when, when we read these stories, these are two amazing stories. And like I said, it's two of many miracles and healings that Jesus performed, but they're incredible stories. When you, when you just sit back and take a look and study these things, you really get an amazing picture. So sometimes it's good to look at them and look at what really happened. So I hope that's, that's helped today. And, just give it a little bit more insight into the incredible miracles and healings that Jesus performed. But I'll finish with never give up on God, no matter how impossible the situation may be.